You know, while we're here on earth, God wants to get us ready for heaven. God has a plan for your life. One of the things that is God's will, as Christian was saying, is he wants you to grow in character. He wants us to grow spiritually while we're here on earth. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we grow spiritually. And specifically, we're going to drill down on how do we help each other grow spiritually. Because the Bible teaches that we can't grow spiritually on our own. That the Christian life is not about going up in the top of some mountain all by yourself, just you and God communing. God says that you can't grow spiritually that way. You have to grow with people in your life. You can't grow without other people in our lives. God uses other people in our lives to help us to grow spiritually. We're going to talk about that. And that's why we talk so much about small groups here at SCC. We have to have other people in our life to, to help us grow, and we have to be the other people in people's lives that help, help them to grow. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage each other and build each other up. Now, when we talk about how we help each other to grow, this is a lesson that, or all the things we're going to talk about today, it's something you can apply to all of your relationships in many areas of life, just, just like what we talked about last week. You can apply this to your, to your marriage. You can help your spouse to grow. You can apply this at work. You can help coworkers to grow. You can certainly help people in your small group to go, grow. You can apply this at home. You can help your kids. We can use this to help our kids grow. How do we help each other grow? The goal of 40 days of community we've been learning from the very beginning is that we have to learn how to love. We have to learn how to love each other. One of the ways that we love each other and we help each other grow, if you'll write this down, is by affirming each other's worth. By affirming each other's worth. Everybody's looking for affirmation. Everybody. By the way, people will do almost anything to get affirmation or at least get attention. If you don't believe that, just watch some reality TV. You cannot believe what people will do to get on TV. What people are willing to do to get a little bit of their 15 minutes of fame, if you will. We, we remember their names for an episode or two. It's pretty ridiculous what they'll do to get some applause. When we affirm other people, we are showing love. We're ministering the way Jesus ministered. Jesus affirmed people. We're doing God's work in the world. Our Heavenly Father, is, he's a loving father and an affirming father. When we are loving people and affirming people, we're giving them a little bit of a glimpse of what God is like. The question is, how do we do that? How do we make the choice to affirm people every day? I want to give you four practical ways. I'd like you to jot them down. There's four ways that we can affirm others in our lives. The first way I affirm someone's worth is by showing acceptance. Will you fill that in? I show acceptance. Romans 15:7 says accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Now let's make that kind of personal in your life. I want you to think about those of you who are in a life group, those of you in a small group, who is it in your group that you have a hard time accepting. You can think of something. Don't point at anybody, but I want you to think of somebody. Have you ever thought about this, that God wants to use somebody that's hard, maybe hard to accept in your small group? You're like, what are they doing in this? Why don't, you know, why did you put them here, God? Well, here's why. God wants to help you 
to help them grow, and God wants to help them to help you grow. The fact that we have a hard time accepting someone usually means that they're, they're different than us. When people are different, we have a hard time accepting them the way they are. You know, what do I mean by different? I mean they vote different, or they see an issue from the opposite way that you see an issue. Um, you know, they, they, don't, um, they don't believe necessarily the same things you believe. I mean, in our polarized world that we live in, you know, to accept someone that's different than me means I've got to accept somebody who votes differently than me, that thinks differently about masks, that thinks differently about vaccinations, that thinks differently about, about protests. I could go on and on and on. Everything that, that we see people, and some of us, arguing about on social media. We are not as accepting unless, unless they think, vote, believe just like us. And all of a sudden, you, vote, you root for my team too, you know, we're, we're right in on them. God says, I'm going to put some people in your life, a lot of them apparently, <laughs> who disagree with you, who don't think like you, who are harder to accept. But I want you to accept one another just as Jesus has accepted you. You realize Jesus accepts you no matter who you vote for, right? And Jesus accepts you no matter you know, what your status is. And Jesus accepts you no matter what side of the argument you're on. So if, if you have a hard, realize this, if you have a hard time accepting someone, they probably have a hard time accepting you too. And God wants to use this to grow their maturity, and he wants to use this to grow our maturity. It all starts with acceptance. We can't help someone grow if we reject them. Nope. Can't be in my group. Nope. Can't be on my team. Nope. Can't be one of my Facebook friends unless you think, act, and believe exactly like I do. So we have to accept them as Jesus did. In order to do that, we have to value the God-given differences that people have. God has made us unique, and he's made everybody else unique. And he's made them different. He's made us different. Look what this verse says in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, God works through different people in different ways. I'm glad he does. I'm thrilled that he does. How do you know, how can you tell when you really have accepted someone? Here's one of the tests. One of the tests that we've accepted somebody that's not like us is we stop trying to make them like us, think like us, believe like us, vote like us, you know, um, that we let them be who God has made them to be. In fact, that we value that. God has, made us, God has made us all different in all kinds of different ways so that we can accomplish all kinds of different things so that everything that needs to happen on the planet happens. The goal of a small group, the goal of a family, the goal of a church any, isn't to mold people into our image. That's not our goal. The goal of a family with your kids, the goal of a small group with your group members, the goal of a church with the family of God is to help people discover who God made them to be. To help people to recognize and to affirm their uniqueness and their differences. We, we can have unity in the body of Christ without having uniformity. Now, everybody doesn't have to think like I think or root for the team I root for. Or vote for the way I vote in order to be part of the family of God. In fact, we value the diversity that God has uniquely created in all of us. So when's the last time we looked at somebody and we said, 
you know, I, I noticed that you're really good at this. It's easy to look at somebody and know what they're bad at, right? And we all talked about people having that the gift, quote unquote, gift of criticism, right? It's easy for us to say, "Man, you're really you're really terrible at that. You're that, you're really lazy at this. You're no good at this." Anybody can do that. But when was the last time we put the energy and the effort into finding that one thing that they're really good at and pointing out? You know, you're really good at this. We don't realize the difference that that will make in someone's life if they just get a little bit of affirmation. Another way that we can affirm someone's worth is by showing attention. We fill that in there, showing attention. Now, not just acceptance, but attention. And attention takes a lot more time than acceptance. We can accept somebody and still kind of look, overlook them, still kind of even ignore them. I accept you, but, you know, I'm not inviting you all the way into my life. So we can disregard people. But Galatians 6.10 says, give special attention. Circle, give special attention. Give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. Why do they get special attention? Well, it's one of the benefits of being in the family of God. It's one of the benefits of being a part of a church family. You get special attention. It's the flip side of what we looked at two weeks ago when we said we need to we need to pay attention to those outside of the church family, those outside of the, of the four walls of our church. This says we need to give special attention to those who are inside, believers in the family of God. Why is that? Here's the general principle. The general principle is whatever we pay attention to is going to grow. Whatever you pay attention to is going to grow. You say, well, man... Their grass grows a lot greener over there. Yeah, they're paying a lot more attention, you know. They, 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 they got somebody coming and spraying their yard. They got somebody taking care of their yard, or they're doing it themselves, if anybody has that anymore. You know, if, if I pay attention to my marriage, my marriage is going to grow and get better. If I pay attention at work, to my job, my career, my career is going to grow and get better. If I pay attention to my kids, my kids are going to grow and get better. We can affirm people just by looking them in the eye. In fact, we do affirm them. When we look them in the eye, what we're communicating is, you matter to me. I value you. I'm giving you my focused attention. What you have to say is important because you matter to me. What people want more than anything else is focused attention. They want to know that their thoughts matter, that their lives matter, that they're valuable. That we're not just... Walk, clicking channels on the TV or scrolling on our phone as we're listening, but that we stop and we look at them and we listen with our eyes. We're focusing on them. Now, a lot of us guys, men, sometimes we don't get this. I can't tell you how many men I've heard tell me over the last almost 30 years of ministry who, who've said something like this to me. They've said, well, Pastor Jerry, I just don't understand it. I provide everything for my family. I provide everything that my wife needs. I provide everything that my kids need. And here's what I've heard so many times, so, 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 so many times. What more do they want? And they're asking the wrong person because I'm about to tell them exactly what they want. And most people, when they ask me what more they want, what they want is we go, yeah, you're right. You do such a, they're, they're so ungrateful. But I'm not going to say that. I'll tell you what they want. I'm going to tell all of you what you want before you even ask. What more do they want? You know what they want? They want you. They want your time. They want your attention. They want your focus. They want 
to know that you think that they matter. So they need time with you. Nothing, I mean nothing, can compensate for time. You spell love, T-I-M-E. Kids, everybody who's a parent, how many of you are parents? Nudge somebody who's a parent next to you. Make sure they know they're a parent. It's a parent some of you might not know. Um, You know what kids need? Kids don't need things. They need parents. They need you. You see what's going on in our schools right now? Uh, the way you, all you have to do is look at how students are acting in schools, and what that communicates to me is there are no parents involved in their life to a deep degree. They need time with par- they need parents. They need parenting, right? They need parents. Nothing. They they need time, but not only do kids need time. Marriages need time. One of the best pieces of advice I give to people in marriage counseling, when I used to do a lot of marriage counseling, was you want your marriage to be better a year from now? They say, well, I don't even want it to take that long. I want it to be better sooner than that. I said, but I can guarantee you it'll be better a year from now if you'll go out on a two-hour date every single week, 52 weeks in a row. You go, and, and, I, and when you tell them that first, they're like, two hours. You know, at least one of them, two hours. By the end of that year, it's like two hours isn't enough. I like, you can t- it can be longer, you know. Marriages need time. Friendships need time. Small groups need time together. So let me ask you, in your life this week, who do you tend to overlook? Who are, sometimes we overlook the people who are the closest to us. Who do you tend to overlook? You overlook the receptionist at work, the secretary that's there, the guy that brings the mail around to your office, Every day, I mean, you know he's there every day. You get mail every day, but you kind of, you don't, you don't even know his name. Who do you overlook in your life? The person who's there all the time, but you never really make eye contact and communicate focused attention. You matter to me because you're too busy. Too many emails, too many texts, too many, too many calls, too much going on. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to... Look for opportunities to show attention to those people in your life, to pay attention. It's the greatest gift that you could give is give someone your focused attention. That's giving them you. And don't just wait for it to happen. You make the opportunities to show that attention. And then I want you to do two, two more things. I want you to schedule some time with two groups of people. This week I want you to schedule time with your family. And your small group. Now, you're already in small groups every week, so this should be easier. And by the way, you already live with your family. It should be easy with them too, okay? Because they're in the same house every night. But I know in family time, sometimes it's very difficult because everybody's got their own calendar, their own schedule, their own agendas going on. So we need both our family and our small group in order to grow spiritually in our life. They're essential for growth. So we need to, we need acceptance acceptance, and we need attention. Third practical way that we can affirm somebody and to help them grow. I affirm somebody's worth by showing affection. Fill that in, showing affection. I'm talking about physical touch. We've all read that babies, about babies and the failure to thrive syndrome. You've heard of this, I'm sure. That, that means little infants, if they're not held if they're not touched, if, if they're not caressed, if they're not stroked, they don't develop 
in a healthy way. You take a baby and you leave it all by itself. You feed it. You change his diapers, but you don't hold and love it the way God intended. Then they will not develop. It's called the failure to thrive syndrome. Babies have to be touched. I think that's why God made them so soft. They're so snuggly. They're so easy for us to, to touch, right? If babies felt like cactuses, it would be rough, right? They don't. You know, even if they have dry skin, it's not that dry, you know. Most people know all that. That's the failure to thrive syndrome. What most people don't know, a uh, very famous study that UCLA did uh, several decades ago, adults need, adults need physical touch too. They did a study where I back discovered a healthy, fulfilled, satisfied adult, get this, needs 8 to 10 meaningful touches every single day. 8 to 10. That's like 56 to 70 touches a week. Handshakes, hugs, pats on the back, a little squeeze. You were made to be touched. Now think about that because we have just finished or we're coming to the end of a two-year period in our world where they have told everybody to stay six feet separated from each other. Don't you dare touch anybody. Yet we need eight to ten meaningful touches every single day if we're going to be healthy, fulfilled, satisfied adults. You can tell this planet has no healthy, fulfilled, satisfied adults on it right now. There's no, everybody's so far behind on this. And in this, this strategy has affected the whole planet. Oh, there's a lot of people that need a hug. Most of the people on your Facebook wall, they need a hug. You know, they don't need to be argued. They, they need somebody to, to, to give them a, a, some love. You know, that's what they need. You were made to be touched, whether you, whether you ever get married or not. You need significant touches in your life in order to grow and be everything that God wants you to be. Yet I talk to a lot of people, sometimes here at church. I can't tell you how many times, probably more than a dozen times, I've had somebody say these words to me, unsolicited. They said, this is the only affection I get all week long is at church. And I think, oh, man, we should have church every day just for this person. When I'm out in the pavilion, I give somebody a hug sometimes. I feel like, I wonder how long this hug has to last this person. Like, I'll last all week? Romans 12.10, the Amplified Version says, Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. We are family. We are family. All my brothers, sisters, and me, right? They laughed in the... They sang with me in the first service. You don't believe me? Yeah, come on, sing along. <laughs> yes. You're my brothers. You're my sisters in a family. Brothers and sisters show affection with each other. Now, look, I get it. They also fight like cats and dogs sometimes. And Welcome to church. That's right. Churches have that down. But when they're done with that, arguing and fighting, then, then we've got to come together and embrace and, and hug it out kind of a thing. It's not just enough to say you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. They need to feel it. They need to know that you're part of their family. So make a habit of hugging and touching and 
and given a firm grip. Now, look, if you're, if you're uh, symptomatic, fist bumps are fine. I guess, you know, how, how many fist bumps equal a hug? It's like, see people out there about you know, over and over and over again, I, you know, I got a runny nose, I'm, I'm, I'm hugging you. An attaboy, a pat on the back, a way to go, whatever it takes to give them a word of encouragement that says, I love you and we're in this together. It's not enough to just say it. People need to be touched. They need hugs. Fourth way. In fact, when we come out of this pandemic, people are going to need twice as many hugs for the next two years as they've gotten prior to COVID, okay? Here's the fourth way of showing acceptance, of showing affirmation. You show acceptance, you show attention, you show affection. And last, by showing appreciation. Showing appreciation. We affirm each other's worth with appreciation. Do you know what appreciation means? Appreciation means to raise in value. If you've, if you've ever bought a home in Central Florida, how many of you own your home? Anybody own your home? A couple of? All right. If you own a house in Central Florida, you know what appreciation means. My house is going up in value. And that is so awesome until you get your insurance bill. Because your insurance is going up this year. Everybody's insurance is going up. Everybody on next door, they're all, oh, I'm firing my insurance agent. My insurance went up all this money. You know, why did my insurance go up? Because your house increased in value by 20%. And they'll tell you it's going to cost us 20% more to rebuild your house if it burns down. You say, but I'm not going to burn it down. I say, okay, then we won't, you don't need insurance. <laughs> yeah, no, I need insurance. And now it's going to cost more. Why is it going to cost more? Because every sheet of plywood is $80 and every Dubois for is like 20 It costs a whole lot more to rebuild your house. You'd be lucky if you get it rebuilt. It, it appreciates. It increases in value. We know what appreciation means. Here's the thing. Every time you appreciate somebody, you raise their value. That's what you're doing. When you appreciate your wife, you are raising her value. You want a more valuable wife? Appreciate her more and her value goes up. You you want to raise your kid's value? You appreciate your kid's. You want to appreciate your husband? It will increase his value as a husband. When you appreciate your friends, when you appreciate your small group, when you appreciate the people in your life at your company, you increase their value. You make them more valuable by appreciating. That's what appreciate means. Everything you appreciate increases in value. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Brothers and sisters, appreciate those who work hard among you, who lead you in the Lord and teach you. So, when was the last time... You thanked and appreciated a Sunday school teacher over in Kid Zone who teaches your kids. When's the last time? Today, when the service is over, before you leave the campus, I want you to appreciate. I want you to go and tell three people, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do. If you've got kids over in Kid Zone, it's an easy one. You go over to Kid Zone and you find somebody with a Kid Zone shirt on. I mean, they may be covered up in warm, you know, it's cold over there. And, and, and say, hey, I, wanna, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for teaching my kids every week or every other week here over in, in Kid Zone. Now, I know some of your kids are such hoodlums, you thank them every week. You're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for not quitting. He didn't make you quit, did he? And, and we know you appreciate us. But those of you who don't have hoodlum kids, you need to appreciate too, right? Say, thank you so much. I'm not even asking anybody to raise hands. Somebody raised their hand on their own. <laughs> thank you. I see that hand Billy Graham said. Maybe you can thank the donut and refreshment people. They had to scramble to do things totally different today. 
you know, because it's cold outside. I said, I want all that stuff out front. And they're like, really? <laughs> yeah, really. You know, because nobody's eating a donut out. They're, they're frozen out back, you know, so get them out in the sun so they can defrost. Um, thank, the, uh, thank the tech people, the people who do the slides, the people who do the sound. Give them, give them a high five. Say, hey, thank what you do. Um, everybody who's watching online, you need to thank the camera operators. You should write out a, a thank you card. Get a thank you card, send it to the church, said, you know, our camera operators are usually Brian and Terry. You just say, Brian and Terry, thank you so much, you know, for making Pastor Jerry look as good as he <laughs> No, thank you so much so that I can watch church from home. You know, these all of our tech people, you thank the musicians, the band, the singers, say, hey, thank you so much. They get here at like, oh, dark 30. They get here, you know, they get here before I get here. On Sunday mornings, they're already up here plugging in and going, check, 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 bling, bling, bling. You know, they're already here. Half of them get up in the middle of the night. It's dark sometimes when they, when they get up. It takes about 50 people, 50 different people, to pull off a Sunday morning, services on Sunday morning every week here at SEC. So thank them. There's plenty of people you can find to express appreciation to. Another way that we can help each other grow, yes, we want to affirm them. Number two, we help people grow by praying for each other's growth. Kristen talked about this, that that verse from Thessalonians is to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to pray for each other. We're supposed to do what this guy, one of my favorite guys in the New Testament, this is Epaphras, I guess that's how you say his name, is a guy that Paul wrote about in Colossians. Look what he says about Epaphras. I mean, Anytime the Apostle Paul singles someone out for a good job or attaboy, look at this guy. We should pay attention to those people. Here we are 2,000 years later slaughtering his name. Epaphras, it says in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras always prays for you that you will grow to be spiritually mature. So this guy's kind of a hero to me because I don't know about you, but... Prayer's hard for me. And you would think, well, prayer's hard for you, Jerry. You're like a pastor. You should be praying all the time. I should be praying all the time. Prayer should be easy. But like you, I'm just as busy as the rest of you with emails and, and all these other things. In fact, usually anytime I say, if you say, will you pray for me for this? If, if, if I say, yes, I'll pray for you. As soon as you turn around, I'm praying right then. Because if I don't, I'll forget. If you text me a prayer request, I, I, I pray right then. Because for sure, that text is going to be like 100 texts. I'll never find it again, kind of a thing. So it's better to email your prayer requests. I could print those out, and I might pray twice for that one. Um, so, so just like you, I have to make time. I have to set aside time to pray. In my small groups, I put those in notes, and I emailed them to everybody. Then I can go back to our group text, and I can know, oh, this was, this was the prayer request for my Wednesday night group and my Friday night group. I love that this guy, Epaphras, is he prayed for people's spiritual growth. Now, we usually pray for people's needs, don't we? We usually pray for their health needs or their financial needs or their, their job needs or their relationship needs. Or we pray for a lot of people's kids, 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 kids. You know, I don't know if you know it. If you're a teenager, if you're, if you're a student, your parents are praying for you. Their whole small groups are praying for you. Sometimes I meet a, a student. I meet their 20-something-year-old kid and I say, oh, I'm so-and-so. I say, yeah, I've been praying for you for a decade, dude. You know, and they look at me like, what? I say, oh, yeah, we have Friday night group. We know everything about you. 
<laughs> you know, but we keep it all in small group. So <laughs> it'll freak your kids out. Uh, so he's praying for their spiritual growth. We don't usually pray for people's spiritual growth. I, I, I think we need to learn. I think probably the reason, and by the way, Everything we pray for, all their needs, those are, those are important. Like Kristen said, that, that's something that God is interested in. He wants us to pray about. We should pray about those. But most of those things aren't going to matter 100 years from now. But if you pray for somebody's character to grow, that will last for all of eternity. So the question is, how do we pray? How should I pray for spiritual growth? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to do it together this morning. In, in here, we're going to all pray for people's spiritual growth. It's interesting that fortunately the Bible is filled with verses on how to pray for somebody to grow spiritually. So we're going to spend a few minutes just doing what these verses say. As we go through these verses, I want you to think of the person in your life who needs this prayer or this verse the most. Somebody in your group, somebody in your small group, somebody in your family, somebody in uh, some of your friends. Let me share these verses to show you how we're going to do it. Okay, and then we're going to pray for them right now. So the first verse is Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And you're thinking to yourself, who, who do I know? God, bring somebody to mind that I can pray this verse for. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says, I pray that you will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide, how long, how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. Who do you know? that needs God's love in their life right now. You might say, well, Jerry, I know lots of people. Just think of one or two or three. Then they may be struggling a little bit right now. Bring them to mind and now say, God, show whoever it is, show so-and-so your love. Show them your love. Let so-and-so know that you love them today. You don't even have to say it out loud. You just think these thoughts. Let Frank know that you're loving him today. Let Susie know you, you love her today. You can pray that right now where you're at. I have a feeling these prayers are going to have a lot more impact than everything that I'm saying today. That's the power of prayer to make a difference in people's lives. Look at this verse, Hebrews 13, 21. I pray that you will always be eager to do what's right. Now, all of you who are parents, I had you raise your hands because you were parents. You need to pray that for your kids today. Wouldn't you like to pray that for your children? That they not only do what's right, help my kids to do what's right, especially over in kids' zone. Help my kids to do what's right, but to be eager to do the right thing. Put your kid's name in there. God, please help. And please help. And please help. Really help that one. Always do want to uh, be eager to do what is right. Or you can pray that for a friend. Or you can pray that for, for someone else. Somebody in your life, you're like, God, so-and-so, they need integrity in life. Help them to do the right thing. Always be eager to do the right thing. And God... Have God bring them to mind, and you pray for them. Romans fifteen thirteen says, I pray, God, I pray God, who gives hope, will fill you with much joy and peace while you trust in him. Hope, joy, and peace. Who wouldn't like some hope in their life today? Or who doesn't need more joy or more peace in their life today? You, you see that the foundation for the hope, the joy, and the peace is what? At the end, it says they've got to trust in him. So, as God brings somebody to your mind, if you know somebody needs more hope in their life or more peace or more, uh, or more joy in their life, you say, God, I know someone who needs hope. So-and-so. I know they need hope. 
Help them to trust you during this difficult time so they can have hope. Or I know somebody who needs joy. And you tell God their name. God, he needs joy. She needs joy in her life. Help her, help him to trust you in their, lo- in their, in their life. Or maybe they need peace in their heart. God, I know, I know somebody who needs peace. Help him to trust you. Help her to trust you. Just bring them to mind. Ephesians 1.17. I pray God... Give you, I pray God, give you the spirit who will make you wise. You know anybody facing a decision this week? Maybe they're facing those, those choices that Kristen was talking about. Where to live, where to, where, where to, uh, what path to go down, what job to take, what, what invitation to accept. And you pray, God, I want you to give so-and-so wisdom. God says he gives wisdom to whoever asks. You can ask on their behalf. Pray that you give my kids wisdom. We should all be praying that every day. Pray that you give my, my brother wisdom as he's making a decision about his family. Pray that you give my sister wisdom as she's making this career choice or whatever. You can pray for wisdom for somebody else. Look at this one, First, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. I pray that the Lord will guide you to be as loving as God and as patient as Christ. Now, some of these I, re- I read and I'm thinking like, yeah, right. Anybody got this one down yet? Is anybody here as loving as God? Anybody here as patient as Jesus Christ? No, no, no. We can all pray this one for all of us. You don't know anybody to pray this for, pray it for me. Okay? We're just not there yet, but we can pray for each other. That we will grow for the rest of our lives to be more loving like God and have more, more patience like Jesus. So who do, you need, who do you know in your life that needs some of God's love? Who do you know that needs some patience in their life right now? Pray this verse for them. Bring their mind and name and say, God, give them love like you have. Give them patience like Jesus has. Or who do you know that's feeling pretty overwhelmed with life right now? Who do you know that's not? Two years into a pandemic. A lot of people are tired, right? Who do you know that maybe doesn't, they don't feel like they're going to make it. They just feel tired and worn out. You know anybody like that? How about every nurse, every teacher, every cop, every first responder, every clergy member on the planet? They're all tired. And a lot of us, a lot of parents, a lot of caregivers are tired. So pray this for them. God, I pray... This is Ephesians 3.16. I pray that God may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit. You bring their names. You think of that nurse, your favorite nurse. You think of that cop, that favorite cop. You think of that teacher, all the teachers, because you're not allowed to have favorites when you have a teacher. You, you, think of, you, you think of that pastor that you know. Maybe he didn't go to our church. He's struggling at another church. You say, God, I help, help them to know today that they're not alone, that you're with them. And that you're going to give them strength and give them power. See, we just prayed individually for dozens, even hundreds of people as we walked through this together. There's power in that. But there's even more power when we pray together. So I encourage you in your small groups this week, when you've got six of you or you've got 12 of you together, to bring up some of these people and y'all pray together for some of these people that are in our lives. Pray for each other's spiritual growth. Romans 15.5 says, May God develop maturity in you so that you will all get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us. Now notice, 
this verse, this verse says that the test of maturity is relationships. The test for maturity is not Bible knowledge and content. It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters how much you do, right? And it says, look, knowledge is important. Reading God's Word is important. But ultimately, maturity is not found in knowledge. You can be the Bible brain bowl champion. You can be Bible jeopardy you know, champion among us. But if you can't get along with other people, God says, ah, you're, you're immature. That's harsh, isn't it? You're not mature if you can't get along with other people. You ever met some of those big, smart Bible answer man types, but they can't get along with anybody? God says, baby, cry baby Christian right there. Okay? Don't point at anybody. And we've got to ask ourselves that question. Do I know how to get along with other people? Is it evidence of ma- the maturity? If I have a hard time, let's point it at us rather than other people. It's so much fun to pick on others. If I have a hard time getting along with other people, it says one thing. We're immature. If we're always worried about what other people, if we're always threatened by other people, if we can't get along with other people, we have an immaturity problem and we need to grow up. That's, that's the thing. It's funny. You know, when I, when I titled this message, it's like, what's the title? How we help each other grow. Yeah, we want to hear about that. But if I had one little word up on the end of it, it makes it really bad, doesn't it? How to help each other grow up. It's the same thing, but it's less offensive if we don't say grow up. Just grow (laughs) up. God says, as he develops maturity in us, we get along with other people, and that shows everybody that we are growing up. That's why we're doing 40 days of community. That's why we're doing small groups all the time. The purpose is, is to learn to get along with each other. The person is to learn to love each other, to build relationships, learning how to love. All right, there is a secret ingredient out of these four ways that we can help each other grow. The third one is the secret ingredient that helps fast forward your growth. It helps fast forward the people that you're helping to grow and your growth. Number three, if you'll write this down, we help each other grow by admitting our own mistakes. By admitting our own mistakes out loud with words to other people. Uh, That's what it means. When we admit our own mistakes, we build community. We build intimacy. We build closeness in our relationships faster than any other way. All these ways are important, but this is the fastest way. Ephesians 4.25 says, tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other. Tell the truth about yourself. Tell the truth about your fears. Tell the truth about your doubts. Tell the truth about your hang-ups. Confession doesn't just mean confessing your deepest, darkest sin. Confession just means admitting what's going on in your life today. You know, I'm having, I'm having some doubts today. That, that's a confession. I'm, I'm worried about such and such today. That's a confession. I'm, I'm feeling a little lonely. That's a confession. I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. That's a confession. I just don't know why I feel depressed and feel discouraged. That's a, that's a confession. When we're honest about what's going on in our lives, and we're not blaming everybody else, but we're honest about that, it draws us closer to the person that we're confessing or to the people that we're confessing that to. And it draws them closer to us. Now, why in the world would anybody do that? Why would anybody 
express that kind of vulnerability? Why would anybody risk honesty? Because it's worth the risk. God says there's four benefits that we get in our life when we are being honest and vulnerable about our mistakes, about our feelings, about our faults, about our failures, about our our fatigue, about our fails. When we're honest, four four benefits in our lives. I'm going to have you write these down. And you only get these benefits when you are honest with one other person or a group of people. The first is emotional healing. Will you fill that in? We get emotional healing. Emotional healing comes from being honest with other people about what's going on in our lives. James 5.16. Remember, we, we went verse by verse through James in the middle of the pandemic. James 5.16. We, we unpacked this verse. So then confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. This is extremely important. The big difference between forgiveness and healing, emotional healing, they're not the same. Forgiveness, if you need forgiveness, you don't have to involve anybody else. You just go to God. Say, God, I confess this sin in my life. I need forgiveness. And God gives you forgiveness. You're forgiven. We don't have to tell anybody else. But a lot of people, after they've done that, they still feel guilty. Um, They still feel hung up. They still don't feel like they can let it go. They still feel emotionally scarred. Why is that? Well, it's because they haven't done this part, telling somebody else. God has wired the universe in such a way and wired us in such a way that emotional healing only comes from confessing or telling that to some, telling it, talking about it with somebody else. It doesn't come from telling God God already knows. It comes from telling somebody who doesn't know. That's where emotional healing comes from. I'm not making this up. It's right here in Scripture in James. Confess your faults to one another and you will be healed. Notice one another and not God. You want forgiveness, you confess it to God, God forgives. But if you want healing, if you want to let go of the pain, if you want to get it behind you finally, if you want to stop having to think about it, then you need to tell somebody else. The thing that you've kept a secret all of your life now, we don't have to tell everybody. In fact, I'm telling you, don't tell everybody. Okay? This isn't what you put on Facebook. You know, personal confession. No, no, no. But you need to tell somebody. Maybe not even your whole small group. Maybe not all 12 people, but three people. A smaller group from within your small group. Or maybe just one other person. Your spiritual partner. Or it could be a Christian counselor. But God has wired that we need to tell others in order to experience that healing. The second thing that you get when you're honest is a fresh start. Not only emotional healing, but we get a fresh start. Proverbs 28:13 says, "Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets what? Another chance." One of the most helpful things that we can do in our small group is to help people forgive themselves. A lot of people, God's forgiven them, but they haven't forgiven themselves. They've confessed to God, He's forgiven them, but they just don't feel it. What they need is someone else, or a group of people, to say, you are forgiven. You confessed it to God? Yep, I confessed it. Then you're forgiven. You've confessed it? 
you've, you've told God about it, yes, then you're forgiven. You need to let it go. And sometimes all people need is for someone else to tell them that. And they need to tell, have someone say, I know how you feel, but you need to let that go and forgive yourself because God has forgiven it. In a small group, we don't rub it in. We need to rub it out. That's why we get together to help each other to feel forgiven. Sometimes people just need someone to say that to them. Another thing you can do in your small group is remind people that God loves them and he loves to give people second and third chances and 33rd chances and 333rd chances. God never gives up on anybody. Have you figured that out? We give up on people. I'm telling you, I'll give up on you. Pastor Rich will leave. When Pastor Rich gives up on you, you've you gone a long way. Okay? But we'll give up on you, but God will never give up on you. And maybe we shouldn't give up on people. You know, sometimes we have people in our life, and it's like, she just keeps giving like 100 chances. She's so gullible. Maybe she's not so gullible. Maybe she's just godable, you know. Maybe she's more like God. She continues to love and give chances. Maybe we could be more like that. God wants to use other people in our life to tell us he doesn't give up on us, and he could take that pain and heal it. And then when he does that in our life, he then wants us to be a leader and help other people in the same way. Third benefit of, of honesty. So listen, God's power to change. God's power to change when we admit our mistakes to others. James 4.10 4, says, When you bow down before the Lord and you admit your dependence on him, God will lift you up and he gives you honor. Now, how does this work? Well, you see, God wants us to learn to be like him. And God is humble. So the Bible says that God resists the proud. As long as you're saying, I'm fine on my own, I, this is my own life, I'll do what I want. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the job that I'm doing. You have set yourself against God. You jumped on the other side. But he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we are honest with our weaknesses, we're being humble. When I'm humble, I get God's grace. God's grace is the power to change. You see the pattern here? When I get God's grace, I can change the things that I've always wanted to change in my life. But it only comes through humility. The pattern is that some things we've not been able to change in our life because we've never been honest about our mistakes, our faults. We've never humbled ourselves. So God, when we humble ourselves... He says, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to give you my grace, which is the power to change those very things that you've been dealing with. Healing and a fresh start come from the power to change, come from being open to other people. And God wants us, he wanted us to need each other. He could have created us independent. We could be independent. But he wants us to be interdependent with each other. All right, fourth benefit of being honest Deeper fellowship. When we admit our mistakes, we get a deeper fellowship with those that we're in relationship or in a group with. First John 1 John 1.7 says, If we live in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Why is that? Well, because we can't hide anything in the light. Darkness is what we use to hide. When we're honest, when we're honest about our mistakes, we live in fellowship. See, here's the myth. The myth is the devil's been on your shoulder. He's been telling you, you can't tell him about that. You can't tell him about that. They'll think worse of you 
we think that if we're open about our fears, our hang-ups, and our imperfections, our secret faults, that people are going to think less of us. The opposite is actually the truth. Actually, the more honest we are, the more transparent, the more authentic we are, the more people want to be with us, want to be around us. What's more attractive to you, honesty or deceitfulness? Honesty is. I mean, we're always listening to people. When someone says, oh, man, that guy is the real deal. Oh, she is the real deal. She's not a fake. He's not a phony. You can trust whatever. What you see is what you get. She's not putting on a big show. She's authentic. I I like that guy. I like that woman. They're They're the real deal. When you hear that, you're automatically, who are they talking about? You're drawn to that person. Flip side of that, if they say, oh, they're such a phony, they're such a fake, they're, they're, they're the worst, you know, the con man, you know, nothing, don't ever, he's a liar, don't ever believe anything comes out of his mouth. You avoid those people, rightfully so. We don't like when people fake it and pretend that they're perfect and they hide everything. That's not attractive to us. So, Apply that to yourself. Think about it. Don't you think that the more honest, I mean, if you're attracted to honesty and away from people who hide and fake, then don't you think if you're honest, more people will be attracted to a friendship with you? All right, I wish I had more time to spend on that. We'll we'll hit that again. Number four, last one. how How do we help each other grow? By encouraging each other's commitment. 1 Timothy 4, 7. By encouraging each other's commitment. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, keep yourselves in training for a godly life. How do you stay in training for a godly life? How do you do that? Well, you do the habits necessary to be a disciple of Christ. You read God's word. You spend time and quiet time with him, growing, uh, praying. You get in a small group. You become part of a church family so that you can grow. You need some spiritual partners. In fact, if you could find kind of a one person who's like your spiritual trainer. You know, I had a friend of mine who used to go to lunch every other week, and uh, he was involved in AA, so he was a sponsor to a lot of people. So anybody that was, was dealing with alcohol, they would, they would say, hey, will you be my sponsor? Then when they were struggling, they'd call him, and he'd, he'd, he'd kind of help. So he called me, get this, he called me. He says, Jerry, you're like my Bible sponsor. He says, so, so whenever I have a question, whenever I have a problem, whenever I'm stuck spiritually, you know, I call you and say, hey, what's this verse mean? What's this? What do I do in this situation? I never heard that term before. I thought that's a great way to put it. You need a spiritual partner, somebody like a Paul, and you're there, Timothy, or, or, you're, or you're like Paul and Silas working together. Because nothing affects your life more than the commitments that you make. All of these things we're talking about, commitment to church, commitment to small group, commitment to quiet time, all these commitments, they matter. You tell me what you're committed to, and I'll show you where you'll be 20 years from now. Because we become what we are committed to. Your commitments shape your life. They shape your future. And by the way, if you're not committed to anything, then someone else is shaping your life and your future. Somebody. Other people are shaping it. Not only do your commitments affect the here and now, but your commitments affect all of eternity. Because the choices you make today impact generations the choice you make today about your marriage maybe it's just going on a date night that choice can have the biggest impact on your children's life than any other thing you do if the parents have a, a strong marriage then your kids are going to see that modeled and desire that and be drawn to that and their kids and their kids the choice you, the little choices we make the commitments we make they impact 
are generation after generation after generation, all the way into eternity. Romans 1.12 says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. That's why you need a church family. That's why you need a small group. We need to help each other. Let's ask God to help us. Close in prayer. Back while we bow our heads, the, the, the fact is that spiritual maturity is a, is a choice. As I've said many times, you're, you're as close to God as you want to be, as you choose to be. And one day you're going to stand before God and give an account of your life. And he's going to ask you, did you ever make those commitments? Did you ever fulfill the, the purposes I put you on the earth to fulfill? So the question I have for you is, what is your next step? We even have a, a tent and a table usually outside called the next steps table. What is your next step? Do you need to invite Christ into your life? Maybe you haven't taken the first step yet. Do you need to be baptized? That's the next step after inviting Jesus into your life. Check that box and say, yep, I want to be baptized. Maybe you need to join our church and take class 101. Even today, you could take it. Maybe you need to get in a small group or find a ministry to serve in. What's the next step? Why don't you pray? As I lead us, why don't you pray these prayers to God? Anything that applies in your life, say, yep, that's me, Lord. I need to pray that one. And pray, dear God, I want to grow up spiritually. I don't want to stay a baby anymore. Maybe that's your prayer. So today I want to make some serious commitments. First, some of you can pray this. First, I'm committing my life to you, Jesus. I want to follow your plan and your purpose. He's been talking about it every week. I'm finally ready. I want to, I want to invite you into my life. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe your prayer needs to be, and I want to publicly announce that, my faith through baptism. Maybe your prayer needs to be, today your prayer is, God, I'm ready to join this church. I can't come to one-on-one today, but help me to go to Membership Matters next time, sometime this year. Maybe your next step is I want to get in a group. So pray to God and say, God, I, when they start new groups in March, help me to get in. Help me to find a group. Help me to find a small group, a life group that I can be part of. But I'm committing to the journey right now, Lord. I want you to help me to grow and to allow me to connect with these people so they can help me to grow. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.